You're listening to Real Folk with me, Jo Burke. Yeah. So, hang on, I'm screeching some brakes on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how old were you and how did you get into the chorus at the Opera Sydney House? Uh, so I was... Opera Sydney House. Do you want to say Opera Sydney House? <laughs> Well, it is, it is upside down. It's Dear listener, you, know, you know what I mean. Listen to what I mean, not what I say. <laughs> I quite like the Opera Sydney House. The Opera Sydney House, yes. <laughs> so how did you get there, Kate? How did I get there? Well, let me see. I was in, I was in Melbourne and I had worked for the Extra Chorus. So, so in Australia, there's state opera companies uh, and the main full-time opera company would travel down to Melbourne twice a year and I would join the chorus there as, a, as an extra chorister, they called us. And then a job came up for a full-time chorus member. So I did, I did a, an audition and was terrified and I got in. So at, at that time, they had uh, 12 of each voice type, so 48 in the chorus. So I was one of 12 sopranos. What are the different, how many different types of operatic voice are there? Well, in a chorus, you've generally got um, a soprano, which is the highest, highest female voice, which is my voice type. We've got, uh, so then there's alto uh, or mezzo-soprano, which is the, the lower female voice. Then you've got tenor, which is the high male voice, and bass or bass baritone, which is the low male voice. So there's four, four sections uh, for a chorus. In, right. in amongst all that, there's a lot of different types. So um, a soprano can be one of several different types. You can be a coloratura soprano or a dramatic soprano like me or a lyric soprano. And so you're a dramatic soprano. I'm a dramatic soprano. I'm very dramatic, yes. I could tell. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we moved up to Sydney. I was married at the time, so uh, my husband and I moved up to Sydney and I was in the chorus there for four years. So six nights a week on stage plus uh, rehearsing every day. So it was very, wow. full, very full schedule, but fantastic. Yeah. I learned so much and okay. I was only young, like I'd only been out of uni a few years and uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience, and I got to understudy some small roles, and and I eventually auditioned for a young artist program in Queensland. So I I then left the chorus, and I did that, and then I decided to try my luck in Europe. So I moved to London. My my mum's father had been born uh, here. He was born in Bournemouth, so I was able to get a visa. And I came over and, yeah, auditioned in Germany. The, the thing yeah. is, in my head, I think, when I think of opera, I think <laughs> of the, the Sydney Opera House. See, I can say it. Yes. Um, I think of that as the pinnacle. So you kind of started at the pinnacle. Didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess... Um, I guess being a chorus star, it's a, it's a fantastic job and it was full-time, secure and I had great friends there, two best friends I still speak to every weekend. We were in the chorus together there and it was just brilliant but I had, I had a real burning desire to see if I could become a soloist and that was, that was why I auditioned for the Young Artist Programme. And then when I came to London, I auditioned for uh, English National Opera and I, I got an understudy for a major role for my first audition, which was just amazing. And it felt very, I felt like I was vindicated in my decision to come over and, and leave all that security and, and my family and everything. I left every sort of everything behind. Really brave. What about your husband? I left him behind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did he mind? Um, <laughs> 
You're right, doll. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so separated from my husband and then moved over. <laughs> so yeah. Well, so. I don't know if I need to go into that anymore because you seem <laughs> joyous about the separation from your husband. It was a long time ago. It's more than twelve years now. So it's it's so you, a yeah. life a lifetime ago. Absolute lifetime ago. The yeah. pain has gone. The pain has gone. Yes. Yeah. Right. Definitely. So it was a, a good decision. And also, you said you were understudying here, and that <laughs> always makes my spine crawl <laughs> because. I just think as an actor, I've never gone up for a, an understudy of a part. And it's because I would feel more sick about being an understudy than I would about just having the main part. Because yeah, it's every performer's nightmare, isn't it? Going on stage and not knowing what the fuck is going on. You know, and everyone else having this well-oiled relationship and you just being stuck in the middle of it. So I, I think it's hugely brave. I'd actually... I'd understudied a lot of a lot of major roles for about I did about eight years at E and O. Then I was I was understudying Norma, which is sort of one of the really big soprano roles. We hadn't quite finished doing our rehearsals. <laughs> And it was the third night and the soprano got sick. So that was... <laughs> so I went See, in. I would have been over there with my first aid kit, ma- making sure she was better. <laughs> well, Rather than me have to go off. <laughs> It was quite amazing. I just, I arrived for rehearsals at midday and there was no one there. There was no one in the rehearsal room and I didn't know what was going on. And then like a whole team of people came in and looking very serious to speak to me. They said, you know, the soprano is sick. Are you okay to go on? And I said, yeah, sure. I said, and they said, what do you need? And I said, well, we might need to block (laughs) the last act. So so we did that. I might need a nappy. But it was amazing that everyone was amazing. And I had to go and have a costume fitting and a wig fitting. And then I hadn't even been on the stage. Mm. So, um, and there was another show that was rehearsing. So we had to wait until that bumped out and they bumped in the, the set for Norma. So I had to, there was a big tree that I had to climb in the middle of it. And there was an ax I had to um, slam into the wall. And so I had to go through all that staging. And then so once- you must've been just running on pure adrenaline it was pure adrenaline and it's a massive i'd never sung the whole role through before because it's so huge norma it's about the same size as singing two operas it was it was quite it was quite a night i had a great time once i got on stage i just it was great i felt so supported by the conductor and the rest of the cast and and everything and i just i had an absolute ball and then i was i was on standby for the the next few shows i was in the theater the next few shows and watching it and sort of reliving it again and going oh that's what that's right that's where she's supposed to stand there (laughs) things like that so do you think do you think the lead the leading lady um do you think it was one of those things where oh my gosh the understudy's done so well I must make myself well immediately (laughs) and get back on stage (laughs) I think it's a financial thing a lot there's a lot of pressure because a lot of uh a lot of singers you're not paid for rehearsal you're only paid for performances so you you can do six six weeks of um so she was from America so she'd come over she would have you know I don't know what her contract was but but often you're not paid for rehearsals you have to pay for your accommodation and food and blah 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 and then you're paid x you know so many thousand pounds or whatever per performance so if you don't do your performances you're um you'll be really out of pocket but anyway I did it That's amazing. Mm. So is that your career highlight? I guess so. I, I also, I sang in Germany, I sang a role, Vanessa, a Samuel Barber role, which I really, I loved that role. She's, 
it's such a kooky story in our production. She was like an old, an old film actress and she'd been in love with this man and he'd left her and she'd waited for him for 20 years. She'd sort of covered all the mirrors and covered all the, all the well, paintings in the house. a mistake, isn't it? I can, I I can feel it. <laughs> and I never then wait he, two and minutes, then he... let alone 20 years. <laughs> And Especially then, for a man. I know. <laughs> 20 bloody years. It was amazing. But, but he, came, he came back, and um, but it wasn't him. It was his son. And then so the story, it's a very interesting story. Obviously, most operas are not written in English. So do you, are you fluent in any other languages? Uh, I, I've, I've learned, I've spent a lot of time studying German because I really, I love the German repertoire. And I'm one a couple of my singing teachers have been in Germany and coaches. So I would, I went to Germany frequently. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm fluent and I'm certainly really out of practice because <laughs> I haven't been so back. So what do you do if you're, if you're not, are you one of these people that, you know, you're only, you're only actually fluent if you're singing it. Do you have to bellow at people in restaurants and coffee exactly, shops? Exactly. A lot of hand gestures. <laughs> you have to sing the German at them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'll throw a bit of English in there. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's quite interesting actually being on the, you know, being on the other side, being, I was in a small German town when I was working there and um, not, not as many people spoke English. So it was quite interesting being on the other side of that, you know, as a, yeah. as someone that doesn't speak the language in a, in a city. We don't, we don't, we don't get that so often in our lives or certainly didn't get it in Australia or here. I did this fantastic, for ENO, we did this fantastic outreach um, a couple of times actually. And one of my favorites, we, we went into a few schools at like really early in the morning. It was like eight o'clock in the morning or something. And we did these pop-up shows for, for kids and they'd never seen off. So we were there at their assembly. And the, one of the, one of my colleagues, she was singing the Queen of the Night aria, which you might know it's that, that it's got the really high, high F coloratura in it. Oh, I do. Yes, yeah, yes. really. I never know what things are called because I, Sorry. I'm just one of those real, as I've mentioned earlier, Philistines who goes, oh, I love that tune. <laughs> but it was just amazing. And kids were screaming like it was a, a rock concert. Like they'd never heard anything like it. Because I think to hear live opera is just something extraordinary people are so amazed that that sound can come out of human body without any amplification and the kids were just they were in hysterics like they just couldn't believe it and we sort of had little pop-up shows little scenes for them during their breaks for so when they were moving classes and things we had a like i did the anaria from norma I did Casta diva and then there was another little pop-up we did you know somewhere else in the school so we did that for a few days at a few different schools that's amazing because like you said i think it's really important because at, certainly at my school you weren't introduced to opera <laughs> I, I went to a very rough <laughs> comprehensive school um that just ch churned you out and chucked you towards a tesco's checkout um and that was it at 16. <laughs> so definitely opera was a secret but my, luckily, my dad, despite us being low class, my dad mm. was a massive fan of opera and he <gasps> absolutely loved Maria Callas and oh. Marion Lanza. And so my, my childhood is filled with these sounds coming out. And um, he had one of those old record players that you used to be able to load up like about 15 or 16 vinyls. And <sighs> do you remember the old, the arm used to swing over yeah. and release them? So yeah, so that's uh, that's one of my earliest childhood memories. And of course, I never knew who these people were. Amazing. And then as I got older into 
sort of early teens, I then hated it because it wasn't pop music and all he yeah. wanted to play was that. And I was like, oh no, dad's playing that. Bloody opera, and yeah. Then, yeah, and then you get to another few years later and you're like, oh man, he had some pretty amazing taste in music. <laughs> well, my parents were really into disco. We had, like, I remember... Diana Ross playing sort of endlessly on Motown, all that sort of stuff. But my grandfather used to listen to whistling tapes. I remember he used to, there was some famous whistler that he used to listen Roger to. Roger Whittaker. I don't know, but it was horrendous. <laughs> I mean, why would you? I was just going to say, I mean, surely there can't be many whistling albums out there. Sorry, just going back to that. So where did your love for opera come from yourself then as well? That's an interesting... Oh, gosh, I, I think it was... I mean, I, I, I learned music, like I learned piano at school. My mum was a singer. She was a beautiful jazz singer, but she, um, she trained classically. Uh, and I'd, I'd had no interest in it. I was total science brain at school. I went headfirst into science and I just wasn't happy at university. I, I, joined, I joined a choir. One of my friends at uni was in a choir and I joined the choir. She was having singing lessons from someone or other. So I'd, I'd started having singing lessons and then there was another girl in the choir and she was auditioning for the conservatorium. And I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting and probably better than what I was doing. You know, I was sort of looking at histology slides and things like that. I just wasn't, I just wasn't very interested in my, in my uni, in my uni studies. I went and did an audition and I got in. It was amazing. I had, you know, no, no, no expectation. I was about 20 by then. And I just loved it. And I felt like I'd come home. Like it was all the people that were, in, I was at Whopper, was a West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Called Whopper. I Whopper. Love I know, Whopper. <laughs> so I, was in, I grew up in Perth. I thought you meant something to do with Burger King. <laughs> all those friends that I met there, I still have today. Like we all ended up working together at Opera Australia. and That's amazing that you say that as well, because the, the, I'm obviously talking to lots of people about their life stories and the overriding theme already is that you know when you do step on that stage as a comedian or as an actor or as mm. a dancer or a, as an opera singer you it is that sudden feeling of oh this is where I'm supposed to be yeah. you know it's a bit like when people say love at first sight and people go oh it doesn't exist until it happens to you and and I think before I'd had that feeling I think I always thought that was a bit of a myth as well, that, they, that, that there isn't that feeling where you go, oh, right, this is what I should be doing. This is what my life is about. But it's true. It does happen, doesn't it? It really does. And I'm, you know, no one was more surprised than me because I'd always been quite a shy, like shy teenager. It took a lot for me to be comfortable on stage. It really wasn't until my like my final recitals at, at uni I, I felt that I owed it to my voice to you know do my best and really give it a chance yeah that's an amazing statement as well isn't it <laughs> so you found out basically that you had this amazing voice but <laughs> it was attached to a, initially a shy person exactly and that you you felt that's just such a lovely phrase that you owed it to your voice I think it's amazing well yeah my bloody voice it's dragged me all the way over here as well so <laughs> love that lovely voice. <laughs> I don't know that it was really, I guess it's come full circle now because I, I always had a real fascination with the way that the voice is produced for opera. That combination of that sort of 
uh, acoustic or sciencey sort of side of it, I guess, and the the mathematics, the almost, geeky side, the, music, the geeky side of it, yeah, with the artistic side of it. Like it's just this. Fan I mean, opera is just the most incredible art form as well. It brings so so much together, but for a human being to be able to stand on a stage with two and a half thousand people in the audience and be heard over an orchestra without any amplification. I just always, I was just always blown away. Like I couldn't, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't understand how that worked and how you got trained to do that. And that was, it is incredible. And especially when you think now that there are, you know, the, the voice I think is, being reduced in general and I mean that on almost every mm. level really yeah especially for women as well the ability to like you said just to stand there and tower and boom and project and you know fill the stage it's incredible isn't it it really is and I you know and I think a lot of about that connection between the voice like women's voices as well and being heard and sort of my own journey of being quite shy and being heard yeah. and so have you got any tips because I I was also the same actually I mean everyone <laughs> presumes because I'm an actor and do comedy and and a lot of my life is performance based now that I was gregarious and I wasn't at all I was so shy that I was always in the movement of anything at school which meant being completely at the back usually and <laughs> Even though in Peter Pan, for example, I, I wanted to be Wendy so much. Aww. Every ounce of me wanted to be Wendy, but instead I was a shadow. Oh, <laughs> you would be a gorgeous Wendy. I was too shy. Aww. And then when they did The Wizard of Oz, I wanted to be obviously Dorothy, but I ended up being a poppy in a sea of poppies on the stage Aww. because I was always just happy to be lost in it. But I was that little girl that was just knew all the lines of the yeah. the lead and just absolutely wanted to do it but it made me feel sick the thought of doing it you know it's that it's so funny as because yeah. I'm, I'm doing my ma at the moment and last week we had the day of lectures on um on music performance anxiety it was just amazing to hear it all because i remembered that feeling i also i gave my first webinar this this week that wave of anxiety came over me again because it was just something very different I've never spoken for an hour about any sort of subject you know and to have to present a, a webinar was just terrifying so you think it never goes away then so you, like you're just saying although you stand on a stage in Sydney Opera House <laughs> yeah. or you know take on a, from an understudy with a moment's notice a huge <laughs> role but given given the some notice to do a webinar all of those same fears come back in again isn't it interesting yeah I think it's that it's that foster syndrome feeling that can yeah. it can that's the the worst thing for me you know like why why would anyone care what I had to say sort of that sort of feeling imagining every bad thing that could go wrong or you know feeling shame it's that feeling of shame as well that you know you might say something silly or you know I don't know what, what could happen yeah. on a webinar but um, certainly enough could go wrong on stage um, exactly. Mm. The thing that I think is interesting is that most people probably presume that even though you and I both happen to start off shy, and I think it's mm. quite often the case actually yeah. uh, for a lot of performers, but I think also the other assumption is that once we've overcome it, that we're good to go in any scenario and that you can just go, oh, you know, Joe, shove Joe in the limelight, she'll be fine <laughs> at whatever thing. And it's absolutely not the case, you know, because the same as what you've just said, yeah. you know, we're we're good to go in our chosen professions yeah. and that's absolutely fine. But if you take us out, because they're, they're now our comfort zones 
And I think that's the key to everything, isn't it? It's the stepping out of a comfort zone that causes all the anxiety again. And you get used to seeing people doing what they love and what they're used to doing, but you put that person somewhere else <laughs> and they're, they're a bag of nerves again. But also I think as well, the fact that most comedians have died. I mean, is there an equivalent in, in singing? Oh, <laughs> yes, just... there is. <laughs> this is the worst one I can think of that happened not to me, but to a colleague I was singing, singing with. And I was waiting in the wings and he had, he was supposed to come on and sing this big aria. And then, and then I came on at the back of the stage. He just didn't show up. And the, <laughs> the, the whole they couldn't go because normally the show will go on like normally you would yeah. carry on but there just there was no way we could continue without him he was the the main part of the scene never heard it before the orchestra stopped the chorus all stood still on stage <sighs> it was just silent and i could only imagine what was going on backstage i'm trying to find this poor guy and then he all yeah. of a sudden he like sort of arrived and they went back to you know his entrance and they did all his aria and it was just incredible i thought wow that's something you don't do you see. know what happened why was he not there i think he just hadn't heard his call or something like oh my god yeah so because we all, you all have your dressing room with the tannoy and yeah a, you know you you get your five minute call or or whatever and that reminds me of a similar thing when uh, <laughs> i was doing i was doing a play in london and <laughs> And because you, you get used to when you're in a show, you've got your backstage with the same people every night because yeah. they're not on when you're not on. And <laughs> I was backstage and I was having this really interesting conversation. And then I suddenly said to her, oh, it's been lovely catching up. We don't normally get a chance. And then we all just went, oh, God. And then she was supposed to have been on stage and it was a, for a phone call. So the poor actor on stage was was sort of miming a telephone call oh, with somebody no. that <laughs> oh god oh god it's awful but it was that moment of like we were like oh it's been really lovely catching up we don't <laughs> we don't normally we don't normally do this now oh god oh my goodness <laughs> and he was furious he absolutely furious but but also quite pleased because he'd sort of masked it really well. So, you know, oh, I think it's like he keeps, keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? Keeps you yeah, on your exactly. toes. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience would have never known. That's what they, you know. They That's the say. thing, isn't it? That is the thing. But honestly, if you'd have seen our, that, that moment of realisation dawn on us. <gasps> God, like, the terror, oh. the terror. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then you have that, you have that moment then is, is, is it too late to go on? Or, yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly. What do I do? What do you do? I know. I, yeah. I know. I got my shoe <laughs> caught. Same show, actually. I got my shoe caught in between. For some reason, like it was a really raped stage. And for some reason, it was like the, the floorboards, but they hadn't, there were little gaps in between the boards. And my heel of my shoe got caught in one, came oh. off. And I'm like, I'm walking <gasps> across, I'm singing across stage, you know, walking across stage. And I thought, do I stop and go back and get it? And then I, I thought, no, I better get it. I better get it because I had, knew I had, I needed it. Couldn't, couldn't pull it out. Like it was just like one of those. Really... Oh no, you were arguing with it on the stage. I know it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. Anyway, yanked it out. Eventually, put it back on my foot. Kept going. You just think. And the next day, we had a talk. There was a group of school kids came, and of course, that was the first thing they asked. What happened with your oh. shoe? <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me of that Malcolm and Wise sketch with the, is it Shirley Bassey or somebody comes down the stairs and her shoe gets caught. Oh, and God. He, put, he puts his boot on her foot where her lovely shoe was. <laughs> I love Malcolm and Wise. Oh, 
Pokemon wise. It's genius, absolutely genius. <laughs> so but, funny, uh, so funny. <laughs> those are the greatest moments, I have to say. Yes. They are the good ones. Yes, live theatre. It's nothing like it. Yes. Oh, God, I hope there we isn't. get back to it soon. Bloody hell. I do too. miss it so yeah. much. What do you do to sort of, and what have you been doing? You mentioned an MA. Have you been doing, burying yourself in that? Yeah, I sort of, so when I was at my sort of crossroads, I guess, um, and I, I went home and did that format contract and I was really thinking, what should I do? Like, do I go back to chorus work? Should I do a, or should I, I was thinking about doing a master's in voice pedagogy because I, I love teaching singing and I've, I've always What's loved that? it. What's that? Say that again. That sounded, what, oh, that sounded so... like a... <laughs> So, voice, voice voice tamagotchi was it <laughs> yeah it's a video game yeah <laughs> um so pedagogy is teaching and and voice pedagogy particularly at the moment is really looking at the science of singing and bringing that into the the singing studio so i've i've been very classically and and traditionally trained as a singer for like 20 years and i, I was really interested in and in looking at anatomy well this is what i thought i was interested in until I had this incredible lecture on acoustics and that has completely fired up my brain. I'm just absolutely loving it. So I've been looking at studying emotion and how emotion affects the acoustics of the voice and how we can use that in uh, voice training for opera singers. And that's been an incredible journey. So I just did my thesis on that. That's that's what I was writing and, and researching while I was on in lockdown. So that kept me busy and fairly sane. That sounds really interesting. If you could go back and give your younger self any advice or words of wisdom, what would they what would they be? Oh my goodness, um, have therapy early. Um... <laughs> I love you. How early? In the womb? Oh yes, in the womb. Yeah, definitely. As early as early as you as you can. Yeah, I I wish I could go back and just say let's just go and sort all this all this mental stuff out now because I think I spent so much time agonising and and dealing with anxiety and depression and you know you know and always having a brave face. You know I think mm. a lot of people just don't you know you, you might say the same thing that that people do see the performer they see the yep. the the public personality and. It's all that that goes on behind the scenes that we're, we sort of deal with. So I yeah. would, to have those tools at an early age, I think would be, have been invaluable. Yes. I, yeah, because it never goes away, does it? That's the thing. Not, never completely, but the, your coping mechanisms get no. better is how I feel. Yeah, I think I think so, and I think, but but strangely too, like I've found sort of performance anxiety to, in some ways, I I I, I don't know, maybe it, it didn't mean as much when I was younger or something. I didn't realise how important each experience was, and now it feels that I, I feel like there's more weight. I don't know, maybe I've just lost my sense of fun for it or something. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I, I get what you mean. I think sometimes. Yeah you sort of take things too seriously and then that's um, detrimental to, <laughs> to, to mm. doing well at it and, in, and detrimental to enjoying it, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you, you sort of, you get to a certain level too and people expect a lot more from you or you expect a lot more from yourself. And I think that extra pressure uh, really feeds into, you know, the, the anxiety of it yeah. and I don't know, it, it's, it, it's less um, 
I don't know, less fun or, or something. I, I don't know. You're not, not so much on the road to discovery or, or potential. It's, you know, well, this is it. This is my job. Those feelings you that know. you get, the, the sweating and the feeling sick and the yes. heart rate. <laughs> you know, we immediately assume that we're massively anxious. But actually, all of those things are adrenaline kicking in and adrenaline kicks in for good reasons too, you know. So, exactly so and it's being comfortable and with yeah being comfortable with that adrenaline and being able to work within that adrenaline yeah. is is a really important lesson to learn um but yeah and and being able to recognize it off the stage as as not being yeah <laughs> when it's not when it's not being very useful yeah, yeah. it is it yeah. really is yeah. i think one one of the things that's always helped me is that i before i'm going on to stage to do stand up for example when you're terrified because mm. it's a room full of people you're supposed to be funny it's all it's it's a lot of pressure and with my shows you know I don't have to do them no one's paying me millions of pounds or anything to do my shows mm. I'm likely to make a loss so you know just before you step on stage you have a word with yourself and go you know why are you doing this <laughs> and then um, and then what I like to remind myself is that if I looked out behind that curtain and there was no one there and I didn't do the show how yeah. I would feel and I think that's really helpful because, you know, yes. it, it then yeah. makes you realise how much you really want it because you would be dis it's so disappointed to not perform and to, to go home having not done it. It's so true, Jo. And I've, I have a similar conversation with myself when I'm going to an audition and I'm feeling really anxious or I can't find the venue or, you know, whatever yeah. I'm having a, and I just say Kate you can turn around and go home now yeah you know no one's no one's putting a gun to your head you yeah. don't have to go and do this audition you can turn around and go home and I never have no but it's that sort of somehow calms me down and and it's then it's my choice this is my choice I'm choosing to go and do this because a b and c you yeah know? but it's yeah. funny that you do sort of you just feel momentarily trapped <laughs> and terrified <I> <laughs> So you can't really, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Exactly, exactly. It's like they don't, don't put your daughter on the stage. Exactly yes. right. <laughs> and yet here we all are. Here yeah, we all are. So what's next for you? The main thing I'm doing, I guess, is teaching at the moment. That's the, the main thing. I mean, I do have a website for my professional opera work, but there's not much on it at the moment. <laughs> there's nothing going on. So, yeah. I mean, if anyone wants a singing lesson, just, you know, they can get in contact on, on you know, Katrina Shepherd on Facebook. But um, I'm hoping to do some more uh, some more lectures. Um, my next my next project for my MA is a research project. I'm going to be mapping the resonances of the of elite sopranos. That's my that's my next project. And what does that mean? So, to, <laughs> so me and everyone so else have... that won't understand that. <laughs> I could, I'm, so the... Do you know what I was doing? I was nodding. You can't see this, listeners. I was nodding sagely <laughs> as if I knew what that was, and then I thought I haven't got the fog ears. So let's let's ask. <laughs> Um, so, so some, one of the amazing things that w was such an incredible piece of information for me as a soprano that had been trained was to actually learn how and why that works. And it's, we've got basically a tube in our throat, our, our vocal cord. From our vocal cords to our mouth, you can think of it like a, a, a long sort of trumpet, I guess. And it's, it's got several resonances in it that 
boosts the sound coming from the vocal cords. And we, that's what we train as sopranos. So traditionally you go to a singing teacher and you, you learn how to do that just by ear, but you can actually see that on this uh, piece of software called a spectrograph. So I'm just, I've been learning how to use that over the summer and I'm going to be mapping those resonances of myself and other sopranos to, because most research has been done, of course, by men on men's voices. So I'm really interested to see what's happening in soprano voices. Excellent. So that will be my little research project. That's, yes. That's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And so the only thing I can equate that to is uh, when I was training as an actor in the vocal class, uh, they showed mm -hmm. us a clip of the... It's, it looks like little butterfly wings in the back of your throat. I don't know what that, I can't remember, like your vocal cords when they're vibrating. Mm -hmm. Is it a similar, yeah. is that a similar thing or is it, is, no? Yeah, so you can think of like the vocal cords make the noise. So they're, imagine like sort of um, two, two elastic bands sort of buzzing together, making a sort of sort of sound. Yeah. But then the above that you've got the, the vocal tract, which is like a tube, and that actually resonates the sound. So... Um, like if you blew into a tube. And so the tract is the trumpet it... then you, would, you was talking about. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. And so that resonates the sound, that, that makes the sound bigger and gives it its particular timbre. Uh, so and so does that, that would vary is... in, in people and is that something that you can make bigger or improve? Or... Yeah, yeah, for sure, oh. for sure. So you learn how to manipulate those resonances to, to make an operatic sound uh and I'm, I'm not i'm absolutely no expert at all or know very much about um contemporary contemporary singing or um music theater singing but uh similar i mean you know you tend to use microphones for that sort of singing but for it's particularly pertinent for operatic singing because we do have to produce um a huge amount of resonance to get over like an 80 piece orchestra in a theater so yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. quite interesting to, to study. Yeah, it really yeah, is. So. It really is. And who doesn't want to know how to manipulate their trumpet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On that note, Kate. <laughs> it's been a joy speaking oh, to you and uh, thanks oh, very much for too. coming on and check out if you want any, if you want to manipulate, if you too at home want to manipulate your trumpet, yes. give Kate a call. <laughs> She's on Facebook, Kate Shepherd, manipulator yes, of trumpets. That's it, that's the one. Thanks for listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke.